Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Yeah, this morning, I just wanted to share, we've been on the, we've been on the, like Michael said as in, in his introduction, we've been focusing on raising the standard for a number of weeks now. We've been camped out there for quite a t- for quite some time. But what I want to do this morning is, uh, as you know, I, I like giving a different angle on things. Uh, I like focusing on things that maybe it's not, hasn't been focused on because I, I see, I like challenging myself and looking from a different angle. Basically, there's a term that uh, is called turning the gem. And what I want to do today is I want to turn the gem of the word on the subject for you because it's something that I like to do. Turning the gem is an old Jewish phrase that rabbis use to describe interpreting scripture from different perspectives. It's like, it's like you're holding up the Bible, which is like a big diamond. And you're turning it so that the light hits it differently at different angles. And it's refracted out at different, the light comes in and refracts out at different times. And you get, you get to see the light in more beautiful colors. So turning the gem and, and allowing the lights to hit in different places results in a different refraction. And, you know, like I said, I love turning the, de- the gem. And I would like to do that with you guys today. My usual beginning point as normal is is research and I love research and the Bible study knows that my engagement in the word is is almost to study it is to study it like it is a piece of literature and, and history and that's what I want to do and I want to start at the earliest use of the phrase one of the earliest use of the phrase in question which is raising the standard or the word standard and it's and I would like you guys to turn there with me it's way back in numbers 21 now it's important to note there is an earlier use of the word standard, and that is, we're going to come to that right at the end, but it's another name for uh, our Lord and Savior, Jehovah. But we're going to go to the, the next one, which is Numbers 21. And so you turn there and have it ready. It's verse 7 to 9. I'll be reading from the New King James Version, if you have an electronic Bible. Numbers 21, verse 7 to 9. Before we start reading, though, I want to I want to just give you a brief synopsis of where we are in the story of, of basically of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and now they're in the wilderness. Let me, give, let me read to you a synopsis quick. The Israelites had become impatient with a long route and began blaspheming God and condemning Moses for bringing them out of Egypt to starve. They complained about the, mirac- the miraculously supplied bread from heaven, which we know is called manna. They even said, if we read from Numbers 21 verse 6 from the Christian Standard Bible, they said, we detest this wretched food. Now, before we judge, before we judge them, you know, so so much of us do that. We we take for granted the blessings that the Lord has provided, and over time, our hearts become numb and our hearts become hard to what the Lord has provided. And I think all of us on this webinar are privileged that we're in a position that number one, we have lights, we have warmth, we have internet, and we have food on our table. But this is where the Israelites were. They were they were basically offended or they had an they were dejected, despondent, and they were offended with God. Now, what this led up to is the fiery serpents being sent out and, and it started biting the people of Israel, which led to physical suffering and loss. 
But what we need to understand in the story is that the snake of sin had bite, had bitten and poisoned the hearts of the Israelites long before the, the physical serpents arrived. Like we just read, those words that came out of their mouths are words from a heart that has been tainted, has been poisoned by the enemy, and sin has crept in. And you could say humanity gave into the bite of the poison of the serpent all the way back in the garden. The serpent in Numbers account is a symbol of sin. It is a symbol of sin, of rejecting God's way and wanting to do our own thing and to go back to go back to slavery. That's what they were saying. They wanted to go back to captivity and slavery. Now you can understand. I mean, if, if you're a father and you liberate your children from a, a devastating situation and all they want to do is reject you and go back. Can you imagine the father's heart in that situation? Now we're going to begin reading Numbers 21, verse 7 to 9. And the context again is the people run. So after the serpents have has has bitten the people and poisoned them, of course, they run to Moses in anguish, realizing their sin. And this is, this is what they say from verse 7. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he... Take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. To pause there, I find it very encouraging that Moses doesn't say, well, it serves you right. Moses is a leader. <laughs> you know, he, he was also spoken against. He was also one of those. But he had the heart as well of the father. And he, he doesn't hesitate. And he goes and prays and lifts them up before the Lord. I think that's important for all us uh, parents, for all us parents, for all, all of us in leadership positions in our companies, all of us in our homes. It's important to. To, to exemplify that heart. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. So, so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, if you, you're probably thinking, Stephen, the word standard didn't come up in what we just read. And you would be correct. But let me read verse 8 from another translation quickly. Numbers 21 verse 8 from the American Standard Version. And Jehovah said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a standard. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he seeth shall live. Isn't that interesting? The one says pole and the other says standard. Now, please note, this is not a discrepancy. This is the whole beauty of turning the gem. Rather, it's quite the opposite of a discrepancy. We need to see the original Hebrew definition of standard and dive into the root to, to understand where these words come from. The Hebrew word for both standard and pole in, on these translations that we read is nace. It's nace. And nace in Hebrew means a flag or a sail. A flagstaff, a, a signal, a token, which is a banner, a pole, a sign, or a standard. Let me say that again. Nace is a flag, which is also a sail. By implication, a flagstaff, generally a signal, figuratively a token. It means a banner, a pole, a sign, a standard. In a Hebrew dictionary that defines it, it says something lifted up. A token to be seen far off, a banner, specifically or especially a banner. A token that is lifted up, 
something that is lifted up high so it can be seen for miles and miles. In the New King James Version, like we said, the Hebrew word nace is translated to pole. In the American Standard Version, we read it was translated to standard. Both of these are accurate and correct according to the Hebrew definition. What is central to the picture that we are studying when we look at this scripture that we just referenced, the bronze serpent was lifted up. So the, the whole point is that it could be seen. And that's what I want to bring to your attention. The pole or the standard was lifted up so that the people, all the Israelites could see it. And when they did look and they did see it, then they were saved. Now, this is a powerful picture of the cross. And we're going to get to that later. But I want you to understand the emphasis of standards that it may be seen high. It is lifted up that all can see. So I'm going to illustrate my point to something a bit different this morning. I'm going to. I'm going to look further forward in human history. I'm going to look to images that maybe you're familiar with outside of the Bible, where, where images of standards and flags that have been raised. And if. If what I'm saying is the whole point is to see, I think it will, I should do justice by sharing my screen with you and showing you so you can see as I talk. So let me do that now. Okay, it's, it moves when I move. What I want to show you, this first picture is, this first picture, all of you art, history of art students like me, I studied uh, the history of art in high school, is this is from, it's called the July Revolution. And it was basically, it's called Liberty Leading the People in 1830. Liberty Leading the People was an oil painting in 1830 by a French artist who was named Eugene Delacroix. All right. And this comm commemorated the July Revolution in Paris that removed Charles X and restored a Bourbon king, the Bourbon king from the throne. It's a heroic scene of rebellion, which was initially received with mixed reviews, but became one of Delacroix's most popular paintings, an emblem of July's revolution and the justified revolt. Now, why am I showing you this? Well, you don't need to be a student of art or history to see what the focal point of this painting is. It's Lady Liberty. And just so you know, Lady Liberty is also the same personification in the Statue of Liberty in America. Lady Liberty is leading the revolution through a triumphant punch of the tricolor flag. The flag and, and the lady is the focal point, the banner, the standard here is the focal point of this painting. Let me read you a quote. Liberty's waving of the tricolor flag was especially populist. Indeed, the New July monarchy took it as an emblem as the revolution and the Republican tricolor instead of the white flag of the Bourbons. This clearly indicating the new regime would accept the changes brought about by the revolution, rather than seeking a return to pre-1789 France, which was the previous regime Charles X's intention. You see, this image, no matter who you are, you can, and I've censored it just for safety's sake, no matter who you are, you can look at this image and you can it something it speaks volumes about this flag about this intention about this rising up let me go to the next let me go to the next image 
This is a photo of the raising of a flag on Iwo Jima in 1945 in World War II. The raising of the flag on Iwo Jima is an iconic photo of six United States Marines raising the United States flag on top of Mount Suribachi during the Battle of Iwo Jima in the closing of the Pacific War in World War II. This photo was taken by Joe Rosenthal and on February the 23rd in 1945 and was published in newspapers two days later. It was reprinted in thousands of publications. It was the only photo that won the Pulitzer Prize in the same year of its publication. And, and I don't know if you know, but this photo was used as a basis for a memorial that they raised, a statue, which looks identical to this in 1954, which is dedicated to honor all Marines who have died for America in, in, since 1775. Now, general knowledge fact, this is the second most reproduced photo in human history. The second most reproduced photo in human history, only behind the picture of the Earth from space. Think about that. And think about why. Why does this, this image, why has it been reproduced so many times? Now, we know what a dark time the world was in, in World War II. And we know how divided the world was in in those, in those days. And this, what does this image rise in you? I know we're not Americans, but Americans symbolized the liberty and the freedom of the war. They, they were the turning point in the war. And these men, this camaraderie that they're showing, this community of raising the flag together on top of a mountain in the midst of a war, just rises people's emotion. And we can understand why it is one of the second most reproduced pictures in human history. Now, let me go to some picture that you're familiar with. Our flag. You see, flags carry deep meaning, deep convictions. And I want us to, to look at our own nation's flag because it's important. Our flag, as you know, was adopted in 1994. And I don't need to tell you what our flag symbolizes. It symbolizes a convergence of the rainbow people of South Africa. The Y design where two paths are separate. But as, as your eye leads from the left to the right, they become one path. And the many colors represents a coming together of South Africa. Many cultures, creeds, and, and colors coming together as a new nation, as one nation. For me, this flag is very meaningful for me. Because as a young boy in 1994, I was 10 years old. And the meaning and the symbolism of adopting a new flag, flag didn't escape me. I was at school. We were singing one national anthem and we had to learn another and we had to adopt a new flag. And I could see what it meant to everybody. It was a new beginning for our country where we chose to come together and stand together no matter what our creed, color or culture was. This was a powerful image. And I'm sure most of you who were around in those days, there was powerful images and memories watching TV as Nelson Mandela, number one, was released and then elected. And we had this new a new South Africa. And I think sometimes we forget, we forget where we come from. And those are the three images that I wanted to share with you today, just to just to give you some recognition. You see, flags have been used throughout history. Throughout human history, flags were originally used mainly in warfare. And to some extent, they remained the insignia of leadership, serving for the identification of a friend, or a foe, 
and also used as a rallying point. Now, in the Bible, flags, banners, and standards are also usually given in the context of warfare. We read the enemy rises like a flood, right? Or he comes like a flood and we rise against him like a standard. That is warfare imagery. But I want to read a different scripture in Isaiah. I want you guys to turn to Isaiah 11, verse 12. Isaiah 11, verse 12 from the New King James Version. Isaiah 11, verse 12. I want to see I want you guys to see it with your own eyes. All right. Isaiah 11 verse 12 from the New King James. He will set up a banner before the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Here we see once again raised aloft to be seen as a beacon, as a rallying point. We can see the words there and gather men, the exiles and the scattered. You see this flag, this banner is, is risen for all the nations to see. And you can see the, the imagery of a rallying point. Now, there are many examples of banners throughout the word, and I'm not going to give you all of them. I'm focusing primarily on a few. Now, this is not a fun with flags episode. I'm not here to give you a, a fun with flags and define what flags are. I'm sharing this morning to give you a quick history lesson on flags to highlight the purpose and the power of flags. So when we look at our standard, when we look at our flag, when we look at our banner, we begin to grasp the power it carries. What is the purpose and what is the power of our flag? And instead of asking, what is our flag? What is our stand? And of course, here's our banner. And let's say, let's stay in Isaiah 11 to study how the Messiah was prophesied to raise the banner among the nations. In fact, we just need to read the preceding verses. So in Isaiah 11, which you already, let's read from verse 10. So you shouldn't have turned away. You're still in Isaiah 11 from verse 10, same version. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. Note the, the preposition there, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Verse 11, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the, the second time. Now the second time is referring to after Egypt's deliverance. To recover the remnant of his people who are left. From Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros to Cush, from Elam to Shinar, to Hamath and the islands of the sea. Now you can understand the context of verse 12, which you read already. He will set up a banner for the nations and he will assemble the outcasts of Israel. For me, this speaks about how the Lord has come not only for the Jewish nation, but Jesus Christ came for all men. And he will gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Can you imagine? Can you have a picture in your mind how high this banner has been raised that the whole earth can see? Every culture, every creed, every nation can see. Isaiah prophesies in this that we read that Jesus will come from the lineage of King David. It says there as a branch or root stemming from the family of Jesse. And we know Jesse is David's father. 
It's a very humble way of prophesying that Jesus will come from the lineage of David. But verse 10 is the crux. Like I said, who, who shall stand as a banner to the people? That was Jesus. Let me read from the message. Isaiah 11 verse 10 from the message translation. On that day, Jesus, Jesse's root, Jesse's root, which is Jesus, will be raised high, posted as a rallying banner for the peoples. The nations will come to him. His headquarters will be glorious. Like the flags that I showed you in the historic images of Lady Liberty with the tricolor flag in France to the raising of the American flag in Iwo Jima. It's also important to know what flags represent in warfare. They represent victory. All a flag symbolizes all that who they are. Triumphs over whatever they are fighting against, whatever the opposing force and ideals. The flag represents, represents victory over, over what the enemy. So if we look at France and the Lady Liberty, the tricolor flag represented the uprising of the downtrodden, the inequality in France in 1830, and the victory of democracy that we saw in the American flag. We, the American flag represented victory, the coming together of the allied forces, winning a war that democracy and liberty won over communism and the dictators of World War II. You see, flags represent more than just a nation, or they represent victory of values over another. Flags are flown in times of victory, not in defeat. When flags, let's look at South Africa again. For me, another image, strong image of my, of my childhood is when South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. Last year, in fact, we just have to look back last year when we won, won the Rugby World Cup. Everyone in our nation was out on the streets waving our flags with pride. We were singing the national anthem. In fact, Nicole and I, we decided to take the kids and the whole family for a drive to take it all in. The moment just felt too good just to sit and carry on with normal life. We put the kids in the car and we took them for a drive. I think a part of me wanted to do that because I wanted them to experience what I experienced in 1995 when South Africa won the Rugby World Cup. At that pivotal time when Nelson Mandela brought a nation together and he wore that Springbok jersey. And for me, those images again last year came flooding back to me. It was truly a powerful image and a powerful time of South Africa being united under one banner and one flag. And you know what? It's even more powerful when we see Jesus as our flag. Jesus is our standard who won the victory over sin and death. Jesus struck the final blow and crushed the enemy on that cross. I love the song that Jeremy Riddle sings, All Hail King Jesus. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to listen to it. Jeremy Riddle tells us of, of the moments of Jesus' death on the cross, the brutal and raw reality of it, but also as a victory and as his coronation as king of the universe. And he says that the heavens roared, all hail King Jesus. Jesus is the victorious flag waving and rippling throughout all history. Like I said, the banner had to be lifted so high that the whole earth or four corners of the earth had to see. And for me, I know, I mean, our calendars today are based on Jesus. Think about that for a moment. The whole world, in my opinion, they either know of, they've heard of, 
or they yet to hear, they will hear of Jesus. You cannot escape the name of Jesus and the picture of the cross today. It's very hard to do that. But what's important is not only the image of the cross, but how Jesus won that victory. How Jesus was lifted up is so pivotal for us as his followers. Jesus won the war by dying for all humanity. Think about, we talk about victory in warfare, and victory is normally won by whoever's ever strongest, whoever's got the, the most military power, who's ever, you know, the shrewdest and the wisest. But Jesus shows a different picture of winning. He shows a different picture of victory. He shows that we win when we lay down our lives for another. And that's what he did for us and what he did for all of humanity. Let's read from the, from the New Testament. I'm going to read John 12. John 12, verse 31 to 33. I'm going to be reading from the Passion Translation. You know I love my uh, translation gymnastics. Like I said, I like turning the gym. John 12, verse 31 to 33 from the Passion Translation. From this moment on, everything in this world is about to change, he says. For the ruler of this dark world will be overthrown. And I will do this when I am lifted up off the ground and when I draw the hearts of the people to gather them to me. He said this to indicate that he would die by being lifted up on the cross. The Aramaic phrase lifted up, lifted up is another way of saying lifted up on the cross or crucifixion. But note Jesus' words there in verse 32. When I am lifted up off the ground and when I draw the hearts of the people and gather them to me. Wow, isn't that a direct fulfillment? Is, can you see Jesus is tapping into Isaiah 11 again? And he's, he's again speaking just before. I mean, this is, early, this is early in his ministry. And he's speaking about what's going to come. And it's a it's perfect fulfillment about what the cross symbolizes. It's a rallying imagery, rallying point. That banner comes strong, that rallying point of drawing all the hearts of the people and drawing them to him. Everything changed because of the cross. The cross is the hinge of history. Look, let's look at Jesus' own words again in John 3. Now Sorry, this is the one that he speaks earlier. This is when he meets Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is questioning, how do we become born again? John 3, verse 14 to 16. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. This is a conversation with, with Nicodemus. Jesus says, And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of the snake on a pole for all the people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up. So that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but be given eternal life. The next verse is a verse we all know. John 3.16 For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his, own, his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. You see, Jesus returns to where we started this morning. Jesus returns to the lifting up of the brass or the bronze serpent in numbers to describe how he himself will be lifted up on the cross. The, press, the Passion Translation's footnote for verse 14 says, The brass snake was an emblem of sin and disease. All of humanity has been bitten by the snake of sin, like we said. But Jesus was raised up on the cross 
why was he done why was he raised up not only for the for taking on our sin and the judicial fulfillment of that but so he can be seen by all people just like the serpent that they can be that he can be lifted up and he can be seen we only need to look to jesus and believe in him and we are healed and saved from sin this is the true power of the cross Jesus fulfilled what was needed. He became sin for us that we can we can be washed clean by the blood. We know that. But it's also important to, to know the imagery of the cross. He didn't just die any means. He was lifted high. And that cross, the image of the cross, has, 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 is, is permanent on, a, on the eyes of history. Everyone who sees a cross now sees Jesus. Why? Because on that cross, he was lifted so high that all people could see. And not only could they see, but they could look to him just like the serpent and believe in him and that we can be healed and saved from our sin. It is a victory symbol, just like a, the flag or standard of victory. Jesus declared victory over sin and disease, and he became he became the serpent on the on the stick for us. Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Jesus became sin for us. He didn't just take on sin on, his, on himself. He became sin for us and he put it to death. Jesus hung on the wooden cross as a standard, as a flag of victory. This is how Jesus chose to win, to lay down his life for us. Jesus showed us this is how we win. This is how he told us how to win. We win by laying down our lives for one another. Like we read, we read John 3.16, and I'm sure most of you can almost recite the King James Version off by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have it everlasting life. But what about 1 John 3.16? Turn there with me, 1 John 3.16. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation again. I just love the way they bring it across. 1 John 3.16. So not the Gospel of John, but the first epistle of John, 1 John 3.16. This is what he says. This is how we have discovered love's reality. Jesus sacrificed his life for us. Because of this great love, we should be willing to lay down our lives for one another. If anyone sees a fellow believer in need and has the means to help him, yet shows no pity and closes his heart against him, how is it even possible that God's love lives in him? Those are real words. Those are that's reality right there. The world knows John 3:16 very well, I would dare say. Believers know John 3:16 very well, but them living it out. Seeing the example that Jesus brought before us on the cross, what does it mean to us? How do we raise the standard? We raise Jesus Christ on that cross. We show him that everyone can see him by doing exactly what he did, by laying down our lives for everyone else, for each other, for brothers and sisters in the spiritual family. This is how the world gets to know Jesus personally, by coming to, in contact with the Jesus with, within us. I think the world needs to hear more of. 1 John 3.16 Christ's love is the banner. 
Christ's love is the flag and it is the standard. All we need to do is to lift Christ up in our lives and in our actions, just like the brass serpent. The power of the cross is only realized in a person's life when they look to him and believe. I believe personally right now, there's never been, well, the world is crying out for a banner of Christ to be seen, the banner of love to be seen. Like I said, so how do we raise the banner? Michael's given us very good practical steps. But if we have to put it simply in one phrase, we lower ourselves and we lift Christ up for others to see. That's how we raise the standard in our own lives. We lower ourselves. We stop hoisting the flag of who we are, of pride and of sin. We lower that flag. We burn that flag. Instead, we, we raise the flag of Christ for others to see within us. We wave the victorious banner of Christ in celebration and passion, just like the Rugby World Cup. You know, it's quite funny. The players did everything. The rugby players did all that they did to win that World Cup. We didn't win it. But did that stop us from celebrating it just as much as they did? No. It's the same with Jesus. He did everything. He was on that cross. He paid that price. But he gave us the victory to share in and to share with others. And that's so powerful. People need to see Christ's love demonstrated just like he did. Let's keep reading in John 1 verse 3. I'm going to, we read 16 and 17. Let's read verse 18. 1 John 3 verse 18. Beloved children, our love can't be an abstract theory. We only talk about, but a way of life demonstrated through our loving deeds. We know that the truth lives within us because we demonstrate love in action, which will live, which will reassure our hearts in his presence. I just love, I love 1 John 3 verse 16 all the way to 18. It speaks about that love cannot just be spoken. It cannot just be an abstract theory. This world struggles to define what love is because they haven't fully embraced the image of the cross and the power of the cross and who Jesus is. If I, family, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we can see the world has grown tired of Christians talking about Jesus and not loving like Jesus. That's my personal, personal conviction, is that this world has grown tired of, of believers, of everyone just talking about Jesus, but actually not really loving like he did. Verse 19, like we just read, is the litmus test to determine if we are truly raising the standard of Christ in of love in our lives. It says there, we know the truth lives within us because, because we demonstrate love in action. So if you're struggling, if you're struggling with that truth, and I know all of us get to a point in our walk where we do struggle, and that's not a bad thing. If Jacob wrestles with the angels, so should we. But if you are struggling with that truth, if you are doubting, things are not going the way you expect. Life is hard. I encourage you to demonstrate love in action. To instead of just be Jesus in the situation. And you know what that will do? Verse 19 tells us it will reassure our hearts in his presence. Because when we step out in Christ, we're not stepping out in the flesh. We're stepping out in him. And he will strengthen that, that, that trust and that truth within our lives. Engage with his word. Read about his word. But also live it out. For me, this is where I'm continually challenged. 
the more I study the word, the more I study it as, as history and, and truth, the more I am challenged to demonstrate love like Jesus did, to put love into action. I think we kid ourselves, to be honest. I think the world kids themselves when they say our time is much more darker than Jesus' day. Jesus lived in a time characterized with sickness, violence, prejudice, division, and wars. Guess what? We're living in a time which is characterized by plagues, sickness, violence, prejudice, division, and wars. We just need to, to go to News 24. You just need to open EWN. The, the world is in the same state it's always been where Christ has always been the one and true answer. And that is, is his life on the cross. Jesus chose to be that answer through all these, through all these questions to be demonstrated, the demonstration of love. If Jesus chose to answer these questions through love, should, should we not follow his example? Politics, governments, public opinion, social media are not going to answer the world's problems. That's my belief. The world is looking at men. Look at the COVID-19 situation. Can we not see a clearer picture that men don't always have all the answers? Scientists don't always have the answers. And, you know, all of us can criticize men, but they don't have the answers. Politicians don't always have the answers. And we can see that in the last 10 years, <laughs> the world is upside down because people don't know what to do. And for me, Jesus is always the answer. He's always been the one and only answer. Remember I referred to you that there was one earlier mention of banner or standard in the Bible. And that is in Exodus. I'm not going to give you the reference. You'll know it. Jehovah Nisi. When they won a war, when Moses' hands were held up for a length of time and they won that war victory, they declared their Lord and Savior, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Think about that. He's the personification. He is the victorious moment. He is lifted up. He gets all the glory. Christ is our victorious banner. All we need to do is raise him up for all to see. I'm going to close with one more scripture. You don't need to turn there. Matthew 5 verse 14 to 16 from the message. I'll read it for you. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep an open house. This is the key here. This is how we are the light. He talks about he's encouraging believers to be the light. Now, the last few lines talks about how we are to be the light, like Michael's focused on the scripture before. He says, keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll be prompt. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous father in heaven. Isn't that a, isn't that a nice, powerful way of putting a practical way of how we raise the standard of Christ, how we lift Christ up for all men to see? And we know Jesus's words. By this shall all men know when you have love for one another. This is what I wanted to share with you. This is what's on my heart. It is a challenge in this COVID situation where we feel that we are trapped and restricted in our homes. But I know what a powerful a phone call can make. I know what a text can make. 
But I also know that this COVID situation is, we are praying and we believing it is coming to an end. And this is where the church needs to rise up. People are going to be in a state where they need someone to demonstrate the true love of Christ, where they need someone to stoop down to their level and to raise them up, to raise them up, to, to use Christ and raise them up and, and point them to the cross and say, look, this is what he's done for you. So this is just from my heart. I just wanted to share with you of what I understand is raising the banner, which is raising Christ and lowering ourselves. So I hope you were blessed. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.